new era in independent art celebration. Indecent exposure. You were convicted of indecent exposure for the third time. That's exactly what it is there, Poindexter. It is four counts of indecent exposure. And this marks seven episodes of Indecent Exposure here at the Greylock Glass. Today is Wednesday, July 22nd, 2015. I'm your host, Jason Velasquez, and I'm thrilled to have you here with me for this show. Uh, On the program today, we have with us uh, one of the co-artistic directors of Bazaar Productions, the Berkshire Fringe, uh, Sarah Katzoff. And for those of you who know Sarah, you know that her brilliance and, and her creativity is matched by her charm and that she is a a tireless advocate for the arts in the area. Um, she'll be discussing the, the, the 2015 work on Passage, which is in development right now, has been um, in residency at the Millbrook School in Millbrook, New York, and is going to be moving here, in, well, into the Berkshires, into Pittsfield um, in August. So we're very excited to, to, to get a chance to see the work-in-progress presentations of that work. Now, they did have a couple of presentations um, down at Millbrook School. Um, my deepest regrets that I was not able to get this show up on the air, on the web, in time to, to let you see that. However, I am sure uh, that because of its location in Pittsfield in August, um, lots of you will flock to it, um, just knowing the quality of, of performance you're going to see, uh, despite and, and maybe even because it's in development. Um, you get to see a lot of raw creativity there. Um, Sarah Katzoff uh, has a BA in Performance Studies from Bard College at Simons Rock. She has had more collaborations and credits to her name uh, than I can even mention here. But we're very pleased to have her on the show, so uh, we'll have that up in just a moment. Uh, we have a, we'd hope to have the, a, a local artist interview, but he was unable to uh, to make the show today. Um, but that's, that's okay. He'll be on, I believe, next show. I'm not going to tell you who it is, because I want to make sure we got this down pat. Uh, too many variables in this world. Way too many variables. What we do have is the fulfillment of a promise I made back in the beginning of this show, which was that in addition to great local artists, uh, we would also feature some music uh, music acts from around the country and around the world uh, if they just blew my blew my socks off. And that is true of this 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 band, Sydney Eloise and the Palms, uh, with their brand new I think July or late June release. Um, faces. Now, when I read the advanced press on this this CD, I thought to myself, <clears throat> they're, they're throwing around some pretty heavy duty names. You know, Phil Spector, of course, referring to the Wall of Sound, um, and and certain a certain aesthetic uh, that was really popular in the in the sixties, seventies. Uh, that some people have criticized, actually. In fact, some artists, uh, some bands have gone back and re released. Um, albums with some of the instrumentation stripped out uh, because they were sort of suggested by Phil Spector and, and they decided, well, what would, what would that have sounded like if we had not gone the, you know, the full, the full course with that. But in this case, when you hear those strains of what certainly sounds like a Hammond organ 
in the background. Um, you say this is this is really big, um, maybe too big for headphones. I don't know, but it's Sydney Eloise in the Palms. We'll get to her, and hopefully, uh, we'll get to speak with her on the phone next week. Uh, because uh, I've been in touch with her and she sounds pretty stoked about it. If you're in Atlanta right now or in the Atlanta, because they're from Atlanta, Georgia, if you're in that area right now, there is a festival going on called the uh, Atlanta, I think it's Collaborative. Uh, there's a link on the uh, in the show notes and, and also on the Greylock Glass Facebook page to that. So if you happen to be in the area of Atlanta this weekend, you may want to check that out. Uh, for now, let's go to that interview with Sarah Katzoff of Kickwheel Ensemble and the Berkshire Fringe Festival. Sarah, it is so great having you here on Will Call at the Greylock Glass. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Susan. Now, Sarah, you are the co-artistic director. Now, tell us, you, you also have some other titles. I want you to tell us a little bit about those. Sure. So I am one of the three co-artistic directors of a production company called Bizarre Productions. And our mission is to create and produce and present original sort of cutting edge theater and performance. And we've done that through a variety of ways. Um, for the past nine years, we've run the Berkshire Fringe Festival. And this year, we've actually taken a hiatus from that project to focus on the work of our, our creative arm, which is our theater company, our own theater company, which is called Kickwheel Ensemble. Excellent. Now, Kickwheel Ensemble... How long has that been around? We've been sort of informally sort of concocted as a company since probably about 2007. Um, and then our first full-length work we made in 2012. So it's been a little while. Guess so. Guess so. You know, it's funny. In, uh, in, in the arts world, you know, seven, eight years is, is a long time. A lot can happen in, in that a lot can happen, and, and you know, some of my collaborators I've, I've known for, we were talking about it yesterday over dinner, it's been, you know, closer to 20 years of sort of knowing each other and just starting to work together. So we've been sort of building this vocabulary as a company and as a group of artists in different ways for, you know, way more than a decade. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me feel old. <laughs> Trust me, you're not old yet. Um, not and not if you're doing theater. You never actually technically get old if you do theater. It's true. It's you like just you just age into you just age into different parts. <laughs> so, so tell great. us tell us about the Berkshire Fringe. What what's what's the mission? So the mission of the festival is to create and present work by artists that are doing things that are very different from anything else that's seen in the Berkshire. So. We focus on the work specifically of emerging artists, so sort of younger performers who are just starting to sort of find their independent voice and bringing them all together for this incredible experience, both for them and for the public who's coming in to see this work um, and be exposed to it for the first time. And that work uh, in the past has sort of been all sorts of different things, ranging from theater to new music to opera to physical theater, to cabaret, to solo performance, clown, all the sort of the full gamut of, of performance and a lot of multimedia work as well. Sounds like, sounds like a real, a real th thick stew of, 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 of focuses. What, um, what you're doing this year is you are, you're taking a break a little bit, right? 
Yeah, so we've been, we've been, we started the festival, uh, our first year presenting it was in 2005. And I think I was maybe 21 or 22 at that point. And my partners were, we were all sort of in our early to mid 20s. Um, and we just were really excited about bringing these artists and this work to the Berkshires. And we sort of hit the ground running and we, you know, started really kind of putting on the producer hats and learning the ropes of fundraising and bookkeeping and marketing. And we sort of were really self-taught in all of those disciplines in order to make the festival happen. And simultaneously, we were all also artists sort of working and just starting our careers. Uh, we kind of work in different disciplines. Some of us are actors, some of us are musicians, some of us are writers and directors. So we were sort of just finding our stride as young artists and we sort of felt like the festival would be really a great complement to that sort of process. And we very quickly learned that when you kind of get into the nuts and bolts of being a producer, it's really hard to have that split focus. Um, and so we really kind of put our own work as a company on the back burner for a couple of years so we could really build this this incredible international festival that it has grown and become. Um, and last year was our 10th year, which was like a huge celebration for us, an amazing milestone, and we had artists coming to Pittsfield from all over the world, and after that, we sort of stepped back and we said, you know what, this was so incredible, let's let's use this as a sort of a sabbatical year, <laughs> um, like professors do, you know, you take a year off to kind of regroup and refocus and kind of shift gears to uh, do something that's enriching uh, for yourself and your own creative process. So that's sort of the journey that we've been on over the last couple of months. And that journey is is is, is passage, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. That was that segue was great. Thank you for setting me up for that. Oh yeah, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> so yeah, so passage um, passage has definitely been in the works for. I think that I I think I first heard a story on NPR about the subject material that we're focusing on maybe in 2013, and I was just really I, I heard this interview with a writer named Anthony Brandt who had written this book called The Man Who Ate His Boots, um, the tragic search for the Northwest Passage, and I was like, oh, that's, this guy sounds really interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up his book, and I read his book, and I was just kind of blown away by <laughs> some of what he presents in it. Um, just in terms of the history and politics of this sort of frozen place that has very recently melted as a result of climate change. And, you know, a lot of those ideas just started rattling around in, in my head and I shared them with the company and we all just kind of started talking about ideas and it was really informal at that point. And then over the last, over the course of the last year, we've been getting together maybe, maybe once or twice a month um, for some sort of intensive periods where we've been getting a little more serious about developing passage as a, as a theater piece specifically. Now passage, the, the very name has a lot of connotations. <laughs> it does. And I, I'm guessing that Many you probably, people. even if you didn't fully expect them when you, when you get started, they've probably kind of occurred to you as you've, as you've gone on. Um, passage to me, at least uh, it has a certain, there's certain implications of, of growth, of of journey, of of perhaps even um, crossing boundaries. Um, tell me a little bit more about how you've you have turned this this historical account into something living. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Well, as a, as a company, I think a lot of the research that we've done and what initially inspired that research um, is really sort of dense sort of research into what's happening with climate change right now and the melting Arctic and the doom and gloom scenarios that, you know, you, you hear about every day. I mean, yesterday there was something that came out about like, a climate scientist from the U.S. that was leaving the country because there's such a culture of climate denial here and he just couldn't deal with it anymore. <laughs> so, you know, our, our way into that really dense kind of both the history of the Northwest Passage and this, you know, what we've been exploring is like, you know, there's like 600 years of failed expeditions to discover this thing <laughs> and lots of sort of death and misery and um, countered with like this sort of outrageous acts of hubris and, um, you know, people just sort of thinking that they can conquer the wilderness and really not being prepared to do that and failing. <laughs> and so that sort of juxtaposition between the fact that now, um, you know, less than 200 years later, it's completely clear of this sort of impenetrable, ominous um, ice and, and treacherousness <laughs> that existed for so long. Um, but we didn't want to write or create a piece that was about that. Um, I mean, th those themes are certainly present in what we've been making so far, um, but it's not it's not a show about about climate change. It's a show about about humans, and I think, um, and and relationships and change and transformation, which were all the sort sort of things that you initially said inspired that uh, were inspired by the hearing that word passage. So I think that that's sort of what our 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 piece has sort of transformed into. Um, it's like a it's a story about these two people that are really sort of struggling to connect, and they go to this sort of vast place, and in that place they're able to sort of. Uh, become separated and then kind of find their way back together again. So that's sort of the, that's like the Reader's Digest version of the last year of research and devising. <laughs> <laughs> but no, actually, that, that's, that's, that's succinct, but it's dead on. Um, because that's, that's the way relationships sometimes progress, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And it's sort of set in this place where, you know, the past and the present are kind of merging together. And at times you're, you're not quite sure um, if, a, if a person that has sort of appeared or, or you know, a, a sort of scene or moment is, is like happening 200 years ago or if it's happening right now or maybe it's both or maybe our hope is that our audience will sort of just accept this magical realism that we've created um, and just kind of go with it and say like, okay, <laughs> this is theater. Anything, you know, anything can happen. It's we're definitely not sort of creating a, a realistic living room drama with what we're making right now. Well, let's talk about let's talk about a little bit um, of the the elements of of well, what makes this fringe? Why is this a fringe piece? <laughs> well, I think that's a that's a broad a broad term, and I think a lot of I mean I think a lot of new work specifically because people don't understand what it is. Or it's not made through a traditional process, which is, um, you know, the, the more sort of traditional work that exists primarily in this country, sort of what most audiences are familiar with, is sort of the, you know, the text comes first and the text is written on for, written for, um, you know, over the course of, of years or, or a year. And then that text is passed to producers and directors who then cast it and then rehearse it and then it, it sort of performs and 
you know, depending on the project, of course, it's like either over and that's it, or it has, you know, a remount or another life or it goes on to tour or something like that. And, and our piece and, and the way our company works is really kind of a different process. We work highly collaboratively among all of us. There are, um, currently there's six sort of core members of the company. And then for each project, we kind of bring in different collaborators. Uh, for different to fill different needs, whether that's as designers or as other performers, which is the case with this current piece. And as a company, we kind of come together and we decide, like, okay, what are we interested in? What are we excited about? What stories, what subjects, what themes in our current culture really sort of are pieces that, you know, threads that sort of need to be made into theater. And so I think as a company, like we're, we're, we're choosing what it is that we're making together. Um, and then moving that process forward, we all work very collaboratively in terms of both the writing and what we, what has sort of become, and we call it theater making. There's a, a, a more contemporary buzzword going around that is called devising or devised theater. Um, that's sort of becoming like, a, oh, this is this is what this is. We we have a name for it now. So we definitely have a de- like a group devising process where each of us takes turns leading. Um, each of us bring in, you know, take turns giving each other assignments, whether that's in terms of researching stuff or writing a song or bringing in images or objects to to play with in the room. Uh, we do a lot of improvisation. We do a lot of sort of group brainstorming um, on our feet physically in terms of creating stage pictures and images. And then where we're at right now is we've done all of that for the last year. So we've had, we have this sort of, we've had this sort of huge pile of material that we've generated. Um, And a lot of it sort of didn't really feel like it was connected to each other, but some of it were things that we were interested in continuing to, to explore. So sort of where we're at right now is we've just kind of put it all together. Um, and because we have this, you know, we have this incredible opportunity here at the Millbrook School uh, to have space and time and housing to really be together as a company, we can really immerse ourselves in this process. And so we've, we've taken all this material and we've started to put it together into sort of more of a cohesive structure, which is what we'll be working on over the next couple of days mm-hmm. and what we'll be presenting as part of a sort of a workshop showing. So let me ask you this, Sarah. Um, what um, What is it that you expect audiences to relate to in this piece? Uh, <laughs> well, hopefully everything. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the goal, and I think it's also a really important way that we work as a company is to really have a relationship with the audience and to really treat them like they are collaborators and how the work grows and evolves over time. So this is the first time that we've put it in front of an audience. Um, so this is this is like the equivalent of like a staged reading. Um, but because of the way we work, it's so physical that there won't be scripts in hands. They'll just be, you know, there'll be actors on stage and there'll be, there'll be a story and there'll be some things, some things and questions that we have for the audience about what's working and what's not working and what is resonating with them and what they feel connected to. Um, and I think our overall hope with that is that we sort of learn from that process that like sort of what is sort of the, 
what is the thread, what is the core, what is the heart of the piece? Because, you know, when, you, when you're playing with all these ideas and you're in a room with, you know, a group of collaborators and all of you are kind of working on it, it does kind of feel like you've fallen into a rabbit hole. Mm. <laughs> you have your own language and your own vocabulary and everyone becomes really familiar with the material. And so bringing an audience in at this point in our process is so essential to how we work because we don't want to create you know, we don't want to create work or make theater or art or whatever it is that we're doing in a vacuum. You know, we really want, you know, it's really, we do this because we want to tell stories that resonate and connect with people. And so we have to have people there <laughs> in order to sort of understand what that is. Um, so I think, I mean, just, you know, not, not having had that experience, my hope is that people will, will see that journey of sort of transformation. They'll see, you know, characters, whether they be historical characters or, you know, fictional characters that we've invented for this, for this piece that have just sort of come to life or been inspired by some of the research that we've done. And they'll feel like they are, they care about them, that they care about the journey that they're on, but they're also, um, that there's a sense of, of humor <laughs> about everything that we're doing and that we're, you know, there's sort of this balance between, you know, the sacredness of storytelling and those journeys and those transformations and also, you know, the, the, the fact that humor is something that connects all of us and that helps us understand things and understand like stakes and, <laughs> and <laughs> the severity of certain situations. I think it's always much easier to approach a subject like climate change and the Northwest Passage with a sense of humor. And the first thing, we had a couple of people in the room when we did our first kind of, I would say a, a read through is the closest thing to what would translate to what we were doing. But we had some people in who were part of this read through and they all said that they were really surprised that it was filled with so much humor. Um, and so I think hopefully we can surprise people and that can be a way to connect with them as well. That's excellent. I, I, I think that humor does you know, it, it is a connection point. It is a, a vehicle for uh, us to have a common understanding of of sometimes very difficult to, to stomach realities. I mean, let's face it. We are living in a time that is different than any other time humans have, have, have experienced in the last, well, forever. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Pretty much forever. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, if if the temperature, if we, you know, we got the 350 ppm parts per million carbon in the atmosphere, we've got the how many degrees can the, the, the mean temperature of the planet rise? We've pretty much surpassed all of these high watermarks and we're in trouble as a planet, as a species, as a, as a, as something that really probably should not have been given opposable thumbs, frankly. <laughs> I'm thinking we never should have been given opposable thumbs. That was a bad idea on nature's part. Um, we should not have been allowed to build things. But now that we have, we're stuck here. And we have to, we have to face this, this unknown together, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, if you can't face it with a sense of humor, you're pretty much screwed. 
you're screwed. And what happens is people just people just tune out, you know, when things get too serious, they when they get too overwhelming and it just becomes it's not accessible to anyone. And so it's much easier to just ignore it than to try and be like, oh, that makes me think or open my consciousness about something or refocus and you know, come about the way that I live my life and what's happening around me in a completely different way. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the humor is the, is really key. How does, um, how does fringe theater sort of braid itself into uh, our understanding of, of what's going on in the world today? I mean, once upon a time, Pre-television days, theater was what you got, you know. It might be highbrow, it might be lowbrow, but it was live. It was brow. It was brow. <laughs> it was the brow. So, yeah, I, I think... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I mean, I think you know where I'm going with this. The idea here is that you are doing this really important piece, and is there a way that this can have ripples that spread out to areas of the, the you know, demographics and people and places and, and ideas where you might not normally, um, you might not normally ex expect to find um, a, an audience. Yeah, that's certainly a big hope that we have with the piece. Um, and I think that that's part of our sort of trajectory of, of touring it and bringing it to places where people, you know, in the Northeast, here in the Berkshires, especially, I feel like we're kind of in this bubble where everybody kind of is on the on the same page <laughs> in terms of their beliefs, and that's not always the case. And there's certainly drastic shifts in that. But um, but in general, if we were to, I mean, and I don't think our piece has an agenda. It doesn't have a political. Agenda. Most most of the people in the Berkshires accept the fact that the climate is changing. Yeah. Let's just let's start let's true. start there. Yeah. So that so that's where we start. So I think our hope is to bring it. Um, you know, to all sorts of different audiences that either aren't thinking about this as an issue at all, are, you know, are, haven't been exposed to this kind of theater before, um, and really kind of getting a lot of people excited about the story that we're telling in a variety of ways. Um, and, and again, that's not a political agenda. That's a, that's sort of a theater, <laughs> that's a theater maker kind of journey, um, which is a word I feel like I've used a lot, but it's apropos. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's passage, journey, passage, journey, passage. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think one of our hopes and our missions as a company is to really think about who theater audiences are in a really different way um, and to make our work accessible. And I don't just mean financially accessible, which is which is part of what we do is we really feel like theater should cost approximately as much of a, as, as a movie ticket. Um, and I think that what that does is it cultivates a culture of going to the theater, because I think what often happens with, especially with people who are in younger generations, I know it was true when I was sort of in my early 20s, a lot of my peers didn't go to the theater because the tickets were really expensive. And if you went to something and it was like boring or didn't interest you or... You Boom. Yeah. You'd just be like, I never want to go to that. I never want to go do that again. <laughs> So there's, you know, there's a, there's definitely a relationship with sort of ticket prices and, and engaging different kinds of people. Um, but we also, and something we found when we were up in Pittsfield with our festival last summer was we had all sorts of people who came to see shows 
you know, and we have a lot of free programs. We have a lot of, you know, pick your own price opening night kind of events. And a lot of people that came out with that for that, and that certainly translates to our company too, are people that are not your traditional theater going crowd. And so all of a sudden we're engaging people and having conversations with them in really different and exciting ways. And that's definitely something we want to continue. Well, you are, you've got a work in progress showing like now, right? Like through, <laughs> yeah, like, in, uh, in just a couple of days. Just a couple so of days. Friends, yeah, our first one is Friday, uh, the, ooh, the yeah seventeenth. Friday the seventeenth here in Millbrook, New York, and it's at the Chelsea Morrison Theater, um, on the beautiful campus of Millbrook School. Um, everyone in the administration has been so supportive. In particular, Elaine Lister, who's the head of the theater program here, and they've been so welcoming, so accommodating, so. Um, generous with their spaces and their campus and really making us feel at home. And there's a zoo here, which is incredible. <laughs> I mean, and it's so perfect for us because there's sea otters in the zoo and we are sort of, uh, having some animal, animal, uh, appearances in passage. And mm-hmm. so it's great to go there and do some like research. <laughs> so I highly recommend this zoo and it's open to the public and, so yeah, it's a beautiful campus, and we just are so lucky to be here. It's such a treat. Well, I'll tell you, any it's a private school with a zoo, people. Okay, that's know, all. We're like, are we dreaming? Like, is this really, are we really here? Enough said. Enough said. I'll tell you, this is this is it's a beautiful location. It's a beautiful campus, and um and 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 thanks to Millbrook School for supporting the arts the way they do. Um. So it's July 17th and 18th, 7 p.m., Millbrook School at the Chelsea Morrison Theater, right? That is correct. And um, and, and people are going to see a work in progress, progress, which means that you might see something that doesn't end up making it into the final production, right? I mean, it's conceivable that, you know, you're going to be seeing director's cut stuff. Yes, exactly. And also, you know, in addition to that, people may come to the performance. There's going to be discussions with the audience after both of them. In between the shows, we're actually going to take some of the feedback that we've received from the first show and do some reworking. So even if people come the first and second day, they might see some different things. So bring your friends and tell Sarah that really what the show needs is more orangutans. Get like 20 people to go and say, you got to have some more orangutans because I can't take take it seriously without some orangutans. No, I'm kidding. Think about this now. It's like really, you know, when we hear something like that from 20 people, it's like, okay, got to find Florida. You kids, you people want orangutans? We'll give you orangutans. No, um, but I think that it's a really fascinating opportunity for people to uh to 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 be a part of the the creative process before i let you go talk to me about this uh, new music fringe absolutely so we started this wonderful partnership with crispina french and shire city sanctuary last summer when the berkshire fringe was there at her amazing space on melville street in pittsfield and since we weren't going to be having our festival there this summer because of this residency, um, we've decided we want to continue one of our favorite programs that is usually part of the Berkshire Fringe, which is a Fringe music series. And the series was started in about 2006, um, and it sort of was an offshoot of everything we were doing at the festival in terms of trying to inspire audiences to find something that they might not otherwise seek out. So... 
Uh, the Fringe Music Series that starts in the fall is a collaboration with First Friday's Arts Walk in Pittsfield. So there's going to be visual art, and the concerts are going to be happening um, either right before or right after the sort of opening of the visual art exhibits. So there's going to be a great sort of cross-pollination between audiences. So people might come to the concert and see some artwork that they weren't expecting to see, or some people might come and for the artwork and hear some incredible new music that they had no idea was going to be there. Um, and Peter Wise, who is one of my collaborators, is sort of curating that series, and he's a musician um, and plays a lot of really interesting music with ensembles and tours internationally. And so he's putting together a great lineup of sonic innovators from all across the Northeast to come and give these free concerts at Shire City Sanctuary. Sweet. Yeah, free. <laughs> yeah, we like free. You know, I have asked this before um, of different guests on different programs, and I, I'm going to ask it to you, uh, of you. What do you think? Is it possible to go the entire season and only do free stuff? You could, couldn't you? I think you could. I mean, there's just, I mean, between all the the big cultural institutions all have all have, you know, some sort of free events. Um, and a lot of also started to sort of do a pick your own price kind of structure, mm -hmm. which I feel really great about. Um, and I think there's just so many sort of pop-up events and visual art. And in Pittsfield, there's Third Thursdays, which has tons of things happening and art galleries and concerts popping up all over the place. And um, next month, our good friend, or not next month, it's this month, <laughs> our good friends in Pittsfield, Pittsfield Shakespeare in the Park are doing, you know, Romeo and Juliet for free for three weeks. So there's a lot of exciting free stuff happening. And of course, the free stuff, you know, for audiences is free, but... For those of us that are making it, you know, we, we go through a lot of effort to, to sort of fundraise and to write grants to sort of make sure that we can continue to do things like that. So, you know, we always encourage everyone to. It's kind of this crazy things. notion that the arts are important for, for a society. Exactly. It's so important. It's so you important. are so deviant. <laughs> Those thoughts are deviant, and we're going to have to. We're sending people to your 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 location right now to scrub those ideas from your brain. <laughs> now, the arts. I'm telling you, it's it's. I I have asked people. I said you could you could spend the entire summer doing nothing but free stuff if you wanted to. So I, I'm thrilled. I'm just thrilled that there is um that that you're doing what you're doing. Um, where can people go to find out more about what you're doing? They are welcome to visit our website, which is kickwheel.org, K-I-C-K-W-H-E-E-L. It's like the pottery uh, instrument. of Kick, <laughs> the verb kick, and then wheel, oh, the noun, yeah. the thing that uh, on, a, on a wagon, kick <laughs> <Right>. wheel. <laughs> um, and there are also, there's also some information about uh, the residency and passage up on Berkshire Fringe's website as well. And that's berkshirefringe.org. And as always, we provide here on Will Call, um, we provide links in the show notes to everything we talk about. That's not entirely true. We provide links to most of the stuff we talk about. Sometimes we just we don't we don't have it together. Uh, but to the berkshirefringe.org and to Kickwheel, we'll have those links. And um, and to other things we, we will as well. Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much for taking so much time out of your day. I know this is a crazy busy week, so um, it means a lot to us that we uh, we get to hear all about passage 
and the rest that's going on at Berkshire Fringe. Thanks so much for, for having us. It was a great time. I know. I could talk for another hour. I really could. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and perhaps we will when I get to see it. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Bye. So did anybody else notice that strange vocal effect that was going on there in that interview? On, on my side, I, I think that uh, I think Sarah's side was fine. No idea what that was. Not my fault. I didn't do it. Um, but as you can tell, uh, there's a lot going on. Even though the Berkshire Fringe Festival is taking a, a kind of a hiatus this year, um, it's not as if things are slowing down uh, for Sarah Katzoff and company. And I really do hope that uh, you get to see the work in progress that is uh, that's going to be performed or presented in August in Pittsfield of Passage. Now, I don't have a date for that, but hopefully I will be able to um, to update you ASAP. Check their website, and of course there's a link to that around, and check back, uh, the, check out the notes for this show, because as soon as I get those dates in that location, I will update you. Now, let us go to our our special segment uh, for those of you who absolutely have to have your fix. Uh, you know that we we call this controlled, controlled exposure, exposure. And, and for good reason. Um, these songs are not picked out randomly in any way, shape, or form. Um, these are handpicked. These are handcrafted, um, lovingly uh, selected from the the multitudes that uh, just sort of stream by. Uh, through the various channels here at Greylock Glass World Headquarters. Uh, We have, as promised, Sydney, Eloise, and the Palms from Atlanta, Georgia, with their new release, uh, Faces. I'm going to play a track off of this uh, in preparation for the interview that we're going to do with her hopefully next week. This is Too Long.
was Sidney Eloise and the Palms with Too Long off their brand new release, Faces, released by the Cottage Recording Company. Now that band out of, at least thereabouts, near Atlanta, um, has no dates as far as I know uh, for coming up here north of the Mason-Dixon line. We will let you know as soon as they do. How long can it be with an instant classic uh, like that available for your listening pleasure? That's our show for the day. I really appreciate you coming around, uh, as you do every week, and we will have another show of indecent, another showing of indecent exposure uh, next week. Hey, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>